The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. That is a true statement. Right now on Fast Money, from summer surge to summer sell-off, the rally fizzling as the major averages post their worst day since June 16th. Remember that day? That was the low. Is this a fear of the Fed fade, or could it be something more? Plus, AMC raising cash by creating a new preferred class of shares. It's the latest way for CEO Adam Aaron to appeal to the meme. I think it should be meme Me, me, meme traders. But the question, should you follow? That's what the question is. Later, Netflix and chilled after a more than 40% run-up this summer. Netflix and the other streamers are falling sharply. We'll go inside the melting media stocks coming up. That's good. Not bad, right? What do you think? Yeah. Me, me? Meme? A lot of people me, say me. that's your favorite thing to say. Me, me. Me, me, me. me, me, me I'm me. Joe Kernan. Guys, in, come on. The jokes. In for <laughs> Melissa Lee. Right at the top. In for Melissa Lee. Grasso showed up because I keep forgetting to go to him when he's not here. Uh, this is Fast Money. Live from the, but now we can do that to a dummy. Uh, live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour. Steve Grasso, and then Guy Adami and Karen Feinerman will join us in a few minutes. Guy's already here. How you doing, Guy? You're not going to disappoint me, are you? Never do. Welcome, Joe. Great seeing you. Absolutely an honor. The sun is now shining because you're in the seat. (laughs) <laughs> I know that sounds sarcastic, but let's start with another. Uh, you better. I'm going to be here tomorrow, too. <laughs> and we start with another major market sell off on Wall Street. The S&P dropping over two percent. That's the biggest loss since mid-June. The Nasdaq down more than two and a half percent, falling into negative territory for the month. Every single uh, stock in the Dow was in the red. Uh, the biggest of the big taking it on the chin as well with Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Tesla losing a combined $240 billion in market cap uh, just today. But the pain was felt uh, far and wide. Semis, retail, airlines, banks, all seeing outsized uh, losses. So with Jackson Hole around the corner Mm. and more economic data to digest this week, is it safe to say that the rally is on pause? And and it's good that I do this show like maybe every three weeks or so, because last time I was on, I couldn't get anyone to say that we had made the ultimate lows. Everybody was saying we were going to, you know, eventually have some type of a capitulation right. bottom, a VIX goes back to 30 or 40. And I was feeling pretty good as I saw that we went from about 4,000 on the S&P. We were pushing, you know, 4,300. 4,300, 200 day. And um, next thing you know, the Fed says, look, 75 basis points is going to be needed probably next time. And maybe a few times after that. Is that what did it? Yeah, I think the, the fact that the Fed has to be hawkish now. They have to be overwhelmingly 
hawkish. And we're going into hearing more Fed speak versus less Fed speak. Try to say that three times fast. So I think you're going to you're going to have a little bit of a hard time with the market, maybe for a couple of weeks. Well, think about where we came from. And obviously, we, we had a run, so 28% in the semiconductor index, the mm-hmm. ultimate in market cyclicality in, since July 5th. And what's either really encouraging or really troubling is the way the indices are breaking down at levels you would have expected them to, right? So we broke down right at the 200-day on the S&P. We're down about 9% on the semis in four days. Um, I think the dynamic around Jackson Hole is, is the sense that the Fed came out of that last meeting. And, and I think there was some interpretation from the minutes of last week of that last meeting, that the Fed um, wasn't pivoting, but that the Fed was at least ready to, uh, you know, acknowledge that we don't know if we've overstepped our bounds. It was the first time that they've actually acknowledged some of that. And yet, uh, as Steve said, I think we're going to hear a lot more out of the Fed. And I think ultimately for the market, there are market factors here, too. We were positioning and, and, and sentiment in markets for the last six weeks and at the start of that was so low that the move that we had was purely, I think, a, a function of a little bit of relief on inflation, a little bit of a sense that the Fed doesn't have to be as hawkish, and you get yourself to this place. Fed, you know, this week, I think, will reassert that I, I don't think anytime soon, and I certainly hope not anytime soon, are they going to expect that they've won this inflation fight. UK inflation, uh, Citibank was out today saying they're going to be uh, over 18 percent. We got Germany on, on Friday that was, you know, 34 and a half percent. So I think the dynamics here, look at that VIX. I also think that Friday we had, uh, you know, a, a quad witching or was it triple witching on, on Friday, but that a lot of volatility had been squelched going into that. You see that today, the VIX exploded higher. The dollar is at 25 year highs. I mean, these are factors that I think that the market has to digest, even if you think that the lows could be in, Joe. I mean, I, you right. know, I can't tell you that, that, that they're not. I do right. think that there's a lot of uncertainty ahead. Well, Guy, uh, and I, I know you, I, I'm looking right at you guys, so I know you're here. I'm not going to uh, forget you. I'm going to ask you sort of a philosophical question, Guy. If, if some of the supply chain issues ease and some of the, uh, the, the commodities that, that aren't rent-related or labor-related, if those ease, where do you think inflation would be? And does the Fed really mean it when they say we're going to get it back to 2%? And if so, that's what scares me. Can they really get it back to 2% given all the printing and all the fiscal money that, that's floating around out there? Even if we do see an ease in some of these Russia caused problems? I mean, 2%, we're never getting to 2%, are we? That scares me. They're going to be going 75 for years every meeting. Very Rene Descartes of you, Joe. Well done. I took actually philosophy for like three days, so I learned that name. The answer is uh, inflation would be lower, but it'd still be a problem without question. You know, I think I think Tim would agree with this as well. I think crude oil would be here with or without Russia, Ukraine. I'm probably in the minority yep. on that, but everything was trending in this direction. So if supply chains figure themselves out magically, yeah, sure, inflation will temper a bit, but we're still talking about inflation it's probably going to be two or three standard deviations from where this Fed wants it to be. And can we get back down to 2%? I don't think in any time soon. Problem is, inflation's a huge problem. It does not go away overnight. As a matter of fact, it takes many months, if not years, to get it back down. Once you got that genie out of the bottle, it's tough to put it back in. Now we're starting to see wage inflation. I mean, it's just difficult. To Tim's point, I, you know, I can't believe the market interpreted this Federal Reserve as somehow pivoting. And David Tepper would come on your show, Joe, many, many times and say, look, don't fight the Fed. And at the time he was saying it, fighting the Fed meant you were being bearish in an environment where the Fed was adding liquidity. Well, 
The same should hold true now. If you're overall bullish now, you're effectively fighting that same Federal Reserve. Well, what, we're all still holding out hope for, for a soft landing, and I heard that all day long, that, that the Fed's still going to be able to orchestrate that. If, if we're so far away from their stated goal of 2%, don't they have to, to get much tougher on the economy than what would be indic indicative of a soft landing? Doesn't it have to be a hard landing to get back to 2% if they're really serious? I, I'd like them to say, Four is okay, isn't it? It's well, four. I, I think four. At, right. Would you settle for four? The, I'll take four. Yeah, if, if they're doing their job accurately, and, and they're tr I think this is your point, if they really push on it to crush demand, that's what they have to do. To get to two. To get to two. So they're not going to do that because that would be an unbelievable, it's not going to be a shallow recession. It has to be a very deep recession for them to do it. If they fail at their job, we, we have a soft landing. But I don't think they're in control. You start off the question, a guy asking about supply chain disruption right. or energy prices. They have nothing to do with that. They can't control that. Right. So the only thing they can control is to raise an aggressive, at an aggressive pace, aggressive fashion. But, but Guy uh, mentioned something about a pivot. I think, unrealistically, I think the market will think a 50 basis point in September versus 75 is a pivot. Well, it's, if the rate of change is less hawkish, then on some level that's encouraging. But, you know, the market is not prepared and, and has not priced in 150 basis points from now until year end. And I think that's the, the, dynamic, the dynamic that I think that the equity market um, could be a little bit disappointed here. Again, getting back, have we seen the lows? I'm not sure. Um, have we really heard out of the second quarter earnings season that, by the way, is coming near a close where we didn't really have that pushback on consumer demand, did we? We didn't hear from mega cap tech uh, saying that, that, you know, Apple didn't tell you that they thought that the demand for uh, their new cycle was, was, was waning. We didn't hear that the enterprise side of, of things was, was a problem. I, I just think that the Fed, uh, first of all, we've learned that the labor market right now, I, I don't think that we necessarily, uh, I, think we're at, I think we're at peak jobs. But um, so I do think that the job market will weaken. But right now, the, the, the participation rate is so low. I think that artificially that the, the job market remains tight. And I think the Fed has a lot more work to do. And I think we all would like to see them get control of inflation. And, and I'm one that has said, I, give me a, a very steep uh, and aggressive recession if that's what it takes, because I think it will be shorter than it will be longer. Well, then, Mikai, uh, we got to we'll get to our next guest. But I want to let you finish up since I. I be, I don't want to forget you because you're not here, although you, I don't know why you're. We would never forget you. Are you kidding me? Could have been. I've been, in, in, I've been here twice a day already. Yeah. But, but, Guy, does the market where it is right now, the S&P, is it at a level that, that reflects a, a, that much of a slowdown? It seems like maybe it isn't. It, maybe there's a reason to go to new uh, lows then. Absolutely not. Tony Dwyer's been, he's coming on. He'll talk about it. He's been steadfast and right, by the way. But no, is a short answer. And again, it comes down to what's the right multiple in a slowing environment, which we're mm -hmm. in. And, you know, what are earnings going to be? I still think, you know, if you want to do the math, 17 historically is about right. And you would think $200 for earnings, S&P earnings, is not unrealistic in this environment. Even I can do that math. It gets you to 3,400. I don't think that's ridiculous. And quite frankly, I think it would be extraordinarily healthy for the market in the long run. All right, let's talk about it uh, with, with um, <clears throat> the man you were talking about. Our next guest says there's three reasons the markets will likely uh, test the lows. Tony Dwyer is the chief uh, market strategist at Canaccord uh, Genuity. Oh, my God, he looks exactly like he did 25 years ago on Squawk Box. Uh, Tony, um, that, how are you? Good to, good to see you. Uh, you're supposed to say so to you, Joe. 
<laughs> I don't know if we got if we got. Are they either on mute or something? I don't Did know. They we, actually they cut got, his mic. <laughs> we, we're gonna have to read his list if we don't. How's our audio with Tony? Tony, can I? Can you try again? So do you, Joe. There you go. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Well played. Sorry, well I was just played. So, Tony, yeah, my, my, I, I saw last time that you were on, you did acknowledge that the, this, whatever we just saw in July and, and from June 16th, there was more oomph to that move than, than you were expecting. But um, I think maybe there was some vindication in uh, the end of last week and today for, for your more bearish uh, perspective. Well, Joe, it's interesting because the momentum indicators were extraordinary. I think everybody on Wall Street at this point has heard that we've retraced 50% of the bear market decline and that more than 90% of stocks in the S&P are above the 50-day. And that is absolutely true, and that's not to be ignored. But when I went back and looked at the data, I found something really important. I don't believe a single one of those periods where you had that kind of bear market and then that kind of momentum turn higher all of them were associated with a Fed that not only might have thought about pivoting, but actually pivoting and was lowering interest rates. So that really is the solution here um, to the dilemma on the on the economy is worser data creating a, a faster real pivot from the Fed. Because that was I, I don't know whether you heard our, our previous discussion. We're, we're a long way from where. You, where the Fed could be forced to not pivot. I mean, if you go back and we worry about the 70s and the 80s and the stop start that the, that the Fed did back then where it thought it had conquered inflation and it hadn't only to, to come back with a vengeance till Volcker came along and really drove a, a stake in it. So these guys, they know that, guys and gals. And they're, they're probably ready to not, to not blink on raising as long as we're anywhere near 8%, 7%, 6%, 5%. When would you stop if you were the Fed? If they, if they really say two is the number? Joe, I, th I think we're looking at the wrong thing, maybe. Um, we're looking at inflation. It, on the core PCE, somehow the Fed has let the narrative get away from the PCE, which is a more stable version of inflation and their primary gauge. And somehow they let the CPI become the one that peaked three months ago. But I, again, I don't know that it's inflation that already peaked and is coming down. You can see it in durable goods for sure. Non-durable goods, obviously, with gas and clothes have come down. But I think what's really going to cause them to shift. We're in an election year, midterm election year, as you know, the economy is slowing down by all measures. So what we may want to watch is the second mandate, which is full employment. If you look at the National Federation of Independent Businesses Small Business Hiring Plans Index, it leads the unemployment rate by four months. That is, it's coming down hard. And when it does, you typically get a lift in the unemployment rate. So as we get past September and October, I think the test of the low comes from, you know, the pendulum going from good news is bad news. We're right in the middle now in the sweet spot that caused the summer rally, that caused us to expect a summer rally was, Bad news is good news. It means a less onerous Fed. But eventually the pendulum swings into bad news is bad news. That should help create a real pivot from the Fed as unemployment picks up in an election year and the economy trends toward recession. So, Tony, when I look at the calendar, I think of Jackson Hole, September 13th, midterm elections. So September 13th is the CPI print. Would would. Is, is this what I should be focused on? I know that you had said it's, it's unemployment versus the CPI, but do I have my calendar right as far as what the market should be doing and where it should take its cues? 
Well, Steve, I think if you do get that a real good print on inflation, it'll maybe it gives a bump to the market. But think about this. The S&P 500 in the broad market is down from where the CPI print was. Defensive sectors have led it. The dollar is higher and the and um, interest rates are higher across the yield curve. So the idea that somehow a, a, a fabulous print is going to magically create this, you know, return of the bull market. Again, um, our, our core fundamental thesis, listen, we've all sat here and watched every day with the volatility and al algorithms and quant. I changed my opinion in my head about 40 times an hour. It comes down to the data and the data is very clear. The market correlates with the direction of earnings. <laughs> direction of earnings is driven by economic activity and that's driven by money availability. How do you get money availability coming into the market when we're at peak employment and money supply and real liquidity are so poor. Tony, we're going to uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Pleasure seeing you. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for the compliment, Joe. That was great. You yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I, I figure we could. Both of us, uh, if we both say it, you know, people might buy it that we're both sincere. Right. We are. Thank you. Let's. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nothing's changed with you, Tony. That's a good. All right. Thanks. Let's uh, let's trade this. Uh, with Karen Feinerman. Hey, Karen, what, what, what do you make of, uh, of the, the action today? It was, uh, I got a green, a green tie on, but uh, that's about it that was green. Yeah, that's about it that was green. I, uh, I mean, the VIX, I thought, actually would have been higher today. There didn't seem to be anything panicky about today, even though, you know, 600 plus points down is kind of a bit of a move. But if you step back and look at the magnitude of the rally that we've had, it really isn't very much of a dent at all. And it actually, you know, I think the VIX is just starting to get going. And um, I think there's some more some more downside. But I do think the numbers coming out tomorrow are really important. I think um, PMI is not important as CMI, but I do think it will give us some kind of clue. And now that we're getting to the end of earnings, we're going to just sort of be, uh, what's the word, buffeted by whatever tides are out there, not earnings. So it's going to be macro stuff which isn't my favorite thing as a value investor, but we're kind of, uh, that's where we are. So I kind of think that the trend will be down. We've run so far so fast, a little more down wouldn't hurt us. Well, the, I don't know what the new normal for the VIX is, Karen. That worries me because, I don't know, we, we haven't got to those elevated levels through, through this entire sell-off. So it makes me think you'd need something really violent to get at the 35 or 40. But, but should we have been south of 20, and, and which is right. where we were last year? And that's why I just think some of the market uh, dynamics are also things that we need to be paying attention to. I, if you look at um, S&P future shorts, non-commercial shorts, um, they've only been this high, you know, two or three other times in the last really? 20 okay. years. So, so again, if you look at the speculation against this market, if you look at the wall of worry, um, and, and if you look at cash levels, they're still pretty high. For a lot of people, those are setups where actually, if you get, a, you know, some decent news out of, out of Jackson Hole and in a posture that maybe what people want to hear, maybe it's not pivot, but maybe it's less aggressive. It also gives you a decent shot for this market to bounce. Very good. Okay. We're going to go to break coming up. Uh, after that break, we're all over the action uh, in uh, after hours in Zoom and Palo Alto. Those names are on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the numbers and the action next. Plus, Halima Croft. Um, I saw Halima this morning. On Squawk Box. He's Squawk back. Yeah, she'll join. There are some new stuff that happened. Joins us uh, in just a few to lay out her case for what's happening uh, in the energy complex and where she sees crude heading next. Don't go anywhere. There's more fast money right after this. Hi.
Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, earnings alert on Zoom. The shares falling and how after the company uh, reported that earnings were uh, above a little, but there was a slight miss on revenue. The company also issuing weak guidance for the current quarter and the full year. That's a recipe for what you're seeing right there, about a 9% uh, drop in the stock. Frank Holland joins us with the latest uh, from the conference call. Uh, anything positive, Frank, or I don't know, weak guidance is weak guidance, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that soft guidance appears to be what's weighing on Zoom right now. As you mentioned, current quarter and full year fiscal guidance for revenue and EPS falling well below estimates, even with revenue topping a billion dollars for the fifth consecutive report. CFO Kelly Steckelberg saying that currency impact was a major headwind on the call. The headwinds we saw mainly relate to the strengthening <clears throat> dollar, new online subscriptions, and to a lesser extent, bookings linearity. We have implemented initiatives focused on driving new online subscriptions, which have shown early promise, but were not enough to overcome the macro dynamics. So mixed quarter overall, advanced metrics also kind of missed. Enterprise customers, those increased 18% year over year. Customers spending more than $100,000 up 38%. But net dollar expansion rate, really key metric. That's spend from current customers that actually decreased from 130% a year ago to 120% this year, shares down more than 8% right now, Joe. Back over to you. Yeah, 88, not near 357, Frank, just above a 52. What do we need? Uh, we need another pandemic, I, I, I guess. That's really crazy. Uh, or, or no, we, we, need, we definitely don't need another don't pandemic. Don't need another pandemic, but can you imagine that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't need another one. No, but 357 no, I can't. in Let's normal time. On. Go to the promo. No, oh, all right. Uh, thanks, Frank. And don't miss. Uh, Zoom CFO Kelly Steckelberg on that that groundbreaking uh, morning show uh, six <laughs> to nine six to nine uh, the longest running uh, show on CNBC on Squawk Box uh, tomorrow. Um, let's trade it. You're a hardworking okay. guy, by the way. I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot of work for you. I'm I'm here to serve. Five in the evening. Here to serve. Thank you. Who wants Who wants so, to take a shot at that? You. Well, you, I, this is what I say about Zoom. Uh, at some point, I actually have thought it was interesting. I, I've nibbled in the stock over the last couple months, and it's it's done almost nothing. Um, but I do have a small long position. The, the a 10 percent, you know, compounded annual growth rate of you know, yeah, 10 to 15 percent over the next couple of years isn't really where this stock is still priced. I mean, it, it's it's roughly 32, 33 times 
2023-2024 numbers. Uh, they're overly reliant on video. They're trying stuff with rooms and they're trying stuff uh, with phones. And, and I just think that this is really the dynamic here. We haven't gotten the sense that they're more than a one-trick pony. And, and so the, only you know, the good, pull the forward only, has been The tough. good news, though, is that look at this show. As a proxy for that, people are still, what's it going to be, 15, 20% of people in the workforce are going to work remote indefinitely. Not in the TV business. I don't think that's going to be accurate there. Some sectors of the economy won't be able to do it. But there's going to be an outsized group of people in different sectors that will choose to work remote. And this price in the stock, although it continues to go lower, which makes the bulls a little uneasy, Feels like it should be a buy at this level, but it continues to slip through the bull's hands. Well, let's do Palo Alto, uh, Palo Alto now. We're going to get back to Frank. Uh, this company out with earnings after the bell as well. The stock uh, surged after reporting a beat on top and bottom lines and issuing a strong revenue forecast. Frank, it's been a while. How you doing? How you been? Yeah. I've been all right in that short time. All right, Palo Alto shares. Very different story than Zoom. They're surging on strong forward guidance for revenue and EPS. And the cybersecurity company also announcing a three-for-one stock split. All shareholders, as of the close of business on September 6, will get two additional shares. Trading begins on a split-adjusted basis on September 14. And on the call, CEO Nikesh Arora said demand was very strong for customers, but he also laid out some headwinds that could weigh on margins. We are assuming a material improvement won't be seen prior to the end of fiscal year 23. However, as the supply challenges fade, we expect this will start to have a favorable impact on our product gross margins. There's a continuing debate on inflation, its nature and duration. We saw some labor and other inflationary pressures in the second half of the fiscal year. We do not anticipate these pressures going away in the next fiscal year. And again, he believes supply chain issues will ease, but inflation will be a challenge. And despite those challenges, Palo Alto with a strong quarter, billings above estimates, also next-gen security, annualized recurring revenue. That's customers spent on growth products like Palo Alto's next-gen firewall, also above estimates. Joe, and uh, yeah, CEO that, uh, Nikesh Arora, he's going to appear on Mad Money, coming up right after Fast Money. That's, that's right. Uh, that's tonight. That's Excellent. Excellent for them. Yeah, that's a huge move after hours, is it not? Uh, it's almost 10 percent. Not quite. Thanks, Frank. Uh, let's trade uh, Palo Alto. Who wants to take a shot? Give us a guy. He, he guy's been right on the yeah, stock guy, for a hey, long well, time. Well, I was going to do guy because he's an example uh, he's, of people that stay at home and, and use Zoom. But uh, guy, guy, how about. Uh, pa- oh, no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean <laughs> two out of three days. Guy, what about Palo Alto? I, listen, a name we've talked about for years, best in class in the most important space, I would argue, out there right now in terms of cybersecurity. These threats are only going to get worse, not better over time. And these guys and gals do it better than everybody else. The problem all along has been valuation, and it's still a concern. If you can wrap your head around valuation, whether it's price to earnings, price to sales, um, I think you can continue to own this stock. I don't think you chase it up 10% here. Over time, since last summer, you've seen back and fills in this name a number of times. But if you want to be in the cyberspace, this is the name to own. It's been a great uh, stock, Karen. It's still going to be great. I mean, it's probably $50 yep. billion. It must be yes, it over is. 50 it's, isn't now, it? it's now probably close to 60 Wow. Well, so, guys, guys been all over this one for a long time. And that deferred revenue number, which is future billing, that's very good. I mean, that was better than the high side. So 
Um, that bodes well. It's interesting to me, though. I mean, this was better than feared. It was good, for sure. Yeah, this was good. Um, but the reaction is, is uh, to me, a little bit outsized versus Zoom, where I actually thought, all right, it was, you know, worse than hoped for. But that reaction was actually much bigger than I thought it would be as well. So, uh, I don't know, tale of, tale of two uh, sentiments. Yep. All right, things really are fast on this uh, show, Karen. we got to go. There's a lot more of, of this really fast-moving stuff yeah. uh, to come up. Here's what's, uh, here's what's coming up next. Oil on the move, crude taking big swings as potential OPEC action comes into focus. So what's next for the energy space? The details next. Plus, big builder bets. Toll Brothers results on deck. And options traders are hoping for some strong foundation. How they're playing the name ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil making some big swings midday after the Saudi energy minister said that OPEC plus may have to cut back on oil production if the volatility and liquidity issues continue. For more on what this could mean for the energy market, we're joined by CNBC contributor Halima Croft. She is also RBC Capital Markets, head of global commodity strategy. She might taken a, a nap midday too because i saw you at 5 a.m yes I I, i'm back <laughs> you are uh, in the, at the same spot so do we believe we believe opec plus team well i think prince abelaziz caught the market by surprise because we just had this rather token increase of 100,000 barrels at the last OPEC meeting. You know, President Biden had been to Saudi Arabia. I think the expectation was that we might have OPEC holding steady, but I don't think people thought a cut was potentially on the table. So I think Prince Abdelaziz has always said he does not like, you know, volatility in markets. He's very concerned about liquidity. But I do think today's statement caught people by surprise. What does it even mean? The, the, the previous issue had been it's tough to produce if you've got bottlenecks and things right. like that. What is this liquidity, blah, blah, blah these concerns? What, what, that sounds like just gobbledygook, is it? No, I mean, if you look at we've had, you know, major liquidation of net length in the market. And okay. from the standpoint of Prince of Belize's, he thinks that is exacerbating these swings in the market. And he basically says the market is probably tighter from a physical market standpoint than where we are in terms of price. That said, I think the real interesting question is going to be, does this really translate into any production policy change? Because you're right, the big issue with OPEC was OPEC is not hitting its production targets. Right. They are potentially, you know, 2 million barrels plus underperformance, mainly because of countries like Nigeria, like Angola. The question is, are we really going to see in the next couple sets of meetings Barrels coming off because Saudi Arabia and UAE and the other producers want to cut back on production. And then the wild cards, Iran. And from certain yeah. areas, I'm saying, oh, the president's ready to 
to, to give away the store uh, again on concessions to Iran. Is, is that, will there be a deal and how much oil would that Well, administration officials are saying that there still are these hurdles that need to be overcome in order to get a deal done, but that they are closer than they were even a week ago. But the big issue that I think needs to be focused on is even if President Biden signs off and says, we're ready to do this, it goes to Congress. And I think that's going to be a very, very bruising political fight over this deal, especially because you just had Salman Rushdie stabbed. You had the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard members, arrested for plotting to assassinate John Bolton. I don't think it's going to be an easy process to get it through Congress. Halima, how about spare capacity, though? Even if Saudi and the U.S. were all in the same spot and we wanted them to deliver a lot more oil to the market, what could they actually do? And that not that ultimately really where the rubber hits the road? I mean, this issue on spare capacity is real. I mean, yeah. we're probably looking at, you know, one and a half to two million barrels of spare capacity within OPEC. And this market has been held up because you had this major U.S. SPR yeah. release. I mean, we've been putting about a million extra barrels on this market. What happens when that release winds down? It's set to wind down sometime end of October, beginning of November. And then I think the most important story for the market is actually December 5th. Does Europe pull the trigger on these Russia sanctions? If they pull the trigger and basically do the embargo and also ban the provision of shipping and insurance services, if the U.S. goes forward with banning dollar clearing for this product, like that means a tighter market. But Europe is facing an economic nightmare right now. Mm -hmm. And the question is, look at where natural gas prices are. Look at what's going to happen in terms of industrial shut-ins and rationing. Is Europe going to go forward with these sanctions? That, to me, is the wild card. Guy. Yeah, Halima, crude oil makes all the headlines, and I totally get it. By the way, I'm with you on that. But nat gas to me is the one that yes. nobody's talking about nearly enough. And, you know, you look at the input costs for industry, nat gas is pretty high on that list. So if we think inflation is tame, nat gas is telling a much different story. What do you think of that? I mean, I think nat gas is the most important story to be watching right now in this market. I mean, look what is happening where we just keep breaking previous highs in terms of natural gas. The Russians are once again threatening to halt flows through Nord Stream 1 at the end of the month. I mean, I think we have to fully expect that Russia is going for a mutually assured destruction strategy with Europe. You impose these sanctions on us on December 5th. You continue to support Ukraine. We are going to make this absolutely awful for you. So I think this is probably the most important economic story to watch is what happens in Europe, what happens with natural gas if Russia really turns off the taps completely. All right. Thanks, Halima. Let's uh, let's trade this. Who wants to I would buy 50% of Oxy if I. Well, that might so, be my so I, I have someone else might too. <laughs> and, I, and so let, let Steve talk for a second because I think Steve's got a view. I, I tend to think that all of the issues that Halim is outlining here are ones that don't re- rectify themselves anytime soon. And, and even on a demand side, I think supply right now is more important. So, so back when crude was in the in the 120 range, I, I, I had thought that the politics of the trade were going to come in. At, at the end of the year. So I put a $65 target on WTI crude. That was when we were in 120 something. Right. So we're down to roughly 90 bucks, uh, that area. I think the midterm elections, I think that the politics will still come in and we'll see crude just break down. And I think we're looking at $65, $75 a barrel oil. 
But I, I, I do agree that there is a, you know, a, a sort of fictitious level that we're pushing this down to. And Tim points this out all the time. This administration was teeing off on crude and fossil fuels. It was rallying long before Russia, Ukraine. So there's some underlying ideological views that is pushing the, the, the price of, of crude up. And, and back to Berkshire and Occidental, I mean, one of the things that, that, that makes Oxy so attractive is they pay down an enormous amount of debt. They, this is a cash flow generative company. And M&A throughout the sector, I think, has just begun. And it's beginning because, again, companies are free cash flow positive. They're able to actually make a creative deals, and they're not doing the deals that they were doing 10 years ago. So I just get back to, uh, you know, when I look at a ConocoPhillips or I look at, a, at an Exxon, and these are obviously the biggest integrated oil companies in the world, they're run differently. And I think you can be an investor in energy much differently. And I, like, I think the geopolitics are a tailwind. But right. I think you can own these as equity investors. And the weighting of the, of the energy sector in the S&P is, is under 4%. Remember, at its peak, it was over 16%. I think you've got a ways to go there. So I said this morning, I drove down to, to North Florida twice, but down and back. How many Teslas did I see? A lot. No. None. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why is that? You tell me. You can't take it on a long trip. Uh, maybe going through Richmond, a few uh, lo- local people going through places like yeah, that. Yeah, the infrastructure but on is the definitely South not, Carolina, not there. North Carolina, in in the you know in in the but outer just, lying area. But just zero. just to put put a put a little fifty percent where I live. Fifty percent Teslas where I live. I swear. Energy did nothing for five years. I hear everything that that Guy and and Tim talk about, even Karen. I, but I, I still believe it's priced to perfection at this point where you've had such an enormous outsized run in the energy space right now. I would be taking profits in this. Well, I think they had to put chargers in Waffle Houses. That's always been my Love the idea. Waffle House. Take a half hour, house. charge your car, get a waffle. It, it just, it's a perfect synergy if, if you're listening, Elon. Coming up, uh, AMC sinking uh, in today's session as the company's new class of shares a debut. Our own Karen Feinerman is digging into the details ahead, but uh, first, Toll Brothers results on deck. The home builder set to report tomorrow, so we're going to uh, do an options open house. How traders are playing uh, that one. And fast money return. Welcome back to Fast Money. Toll Brothers continuing its trend lower today. The home builders, the stock down more than 37% this year. Options traders are piling in ahead of earnings tomorrow. And Mike Coe has the accent. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we saw almost three times the average daily options volume today. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 7% by the end of the week. That's slightly larger than the 5% or so that the company has averaged over the last eight quarters or so after they've reported. The most active options were the weekly 46 strike puts, and buyers of those are betting that the stock is going to decline after earnings. And they could also, of course, be hedging against a long position, given the fact that the stock is obviously in a weak trend uh, and is trading at a relatively cheap valuation. All right, very good. Thank you. T-Bone. T-Bone. I'm not even going to explain it anymore. I'm just going to call you T-Bone. Uh, for more options actions, be sure to tune in uh, to the full show Friday uh, at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, coming up, the latest on AMC's uh, new share offering. Karen's breaking down what you need to know. A Feinerman fine print is next. Plus, social uh, stocks taking it on the chin in today's sell-off, as you might imagine, where these names are headed next when Fast Money returns.
Wow, look at that. Uh, don't miss uh, CNBC's Delivering Alpha returning in person on September 28th. I'll be speaking with Druck, Stanley Druckenmiller of Duquesne Family Office. Um, it's a good headshot. I don't know whether anyone has been more right for more years and given more he's, money away. He's, he's one of the best. Given more money away no than uh, he is. And we share something very special, and that is a love for big German shepherds. Mm. Anyway, he's agreed to do it, and uh, we're looking forward to that. that. That'll be a highlight, I think. Um, I mean, because of Druck, not, not really because of me. But that'll be a highlight of delivering alpha. AMC is one of the favorite uh, Mimi stocks, trading stocks, issuing a new preferred uh, class today with the ticker APE. The value of the common share is dropping sharply. To account for the creation of these new APE units, our Karen Feinerman is here with a fine print on this, ready to explain why buyers need uh, to really be aware of what's happening at AMC. Should we, you like my Mimi? Should, is it Mimi, Karen, or, or Mimi? I mean, it kind of fits. No, the way Mimi. you say it, it sounds just right, Mimi. Perfect. <laughs> this, I mean, this is just, you know, he is the salesman of all time, and this is, I mean, this is just ridiculous. It's smoke and mirrors, for sure. He knows it. Everybody knows it. Basically, he knows he needs to raise more money in the future. He told us how hard the business is. So he knows that he also promised the shareholders he wasn't going to issue more stock. But instead, he issues magical stock. And that's what these apes are. The AMC preferreds, normally preferred to get a dividend. You get zero dividend here. Basically, it's a stock split, which he kind of told you that's just what it's like, except he doesn't need your vote to issue more of these in the future. And since he told the shareholders, I don't want to dilute you, that's kind of what exactly what future magical ape shares are going to do. They're going to dilute you. So he goes through this whole rigmarole, how great it is, and then he says we're in a vastly, vastly, and I mean vastly, much stronger position from this smoke and mirrors. I don't really get it. If I were a shareholder, I'd kind of be offended. I know he's just trying to save his company, so I'm sympathetic, and he's done a masterful job of selling anything that he possibly could, including NFTs. I think you get an eighth NFT here as well. I, it's, he's, you know, it's been a quite a Sisyphean task to try to save this business, and yet he's been able to do it time and time again. Whether this will allow him to stay afloat? Yeah, probably will. But if you were a shareholder who voted not to let him issue more shares, and then he comes out with these magical ape shares, I would be kind of pissed. Are you at Karen Feinerman? On Twitter. I mean, have you have the apes heard you say this stuff, Karen? Or, um, uh, yeah, I don't have a have lot now. of friends in the Mimi world, as you say. I was looking up to see. Uh, I'm going to start following you just to see the excrement hit the air conditioner <laughs> here after that. Uh, yeah, exactly. I know. I know. I should. I should. Follow Andrew. I, mean, I, I've been I don't follow Karen Andrew. No, I don't. And I, and I and I block Steve Leisman. So. Um, <laughs> Coming up, uh, <laughs> coming up, social stuff. No, he's on. He's, no, I think he really still might be. But coming up, social stocks getting hit hard in today's sell-off. So is there more downside ahead? The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Social and media stocks seeing even bigger losses in the broader markets today. Media. Faring even worse, Netflix down more than 6%. Warner Brothers, uh, the worst performer in the S&P today. Julia Borson uh, has been tracking the sell-off uh, today. She's here uh, with the details. And I guess 
we, we're never going to see Lord of the Rings merge with Game of Thrones. You think that? I, I asked you that this morning. Is that a bad idea? We can't. Not, like not, Godzilla, not just yet. Godzilla Too many characters. Got to keep no? all those. All those characters have to have to stay separate. Different different IP, as they say. But let's get back to the stocks, Joe. Now, the streamers are far underperformed. They far underperformed the market today. Netflix shares losing about 6% on a downgrade from CFRA to underperform, that from lowering its price target and warning that Netflix may underperform the S&P 500 for the rest of the year. Roku shares off about 4.5%, while Warner Brothers Discovery finished down about 7.5%. That, despite the the launch of House of the Dragon last night, uh, drawing rave reviews, um, both from audiences as well as from critics. And then Paramount um, also down 5%, though it is still in the green so far in August. Now, holding up a little bit better, Walt Disney, uh, those shares down about 3.5%, Comcast down nearly 3%. Take a look at social stocks. They're also getting hit harder than the broader NASDAQ, and Snap is off the most. It's down just under 5%. It's now down nearly 77% year-to-date. Meta platforms also losing about 3%. Twitter and Pinterest both off around 2.5%. Now, on Friday, Morgan Stanley slashed its estimates on Meta, citing declining time spent in the United States and also a shift towards lower monetizing reels. But Goldman Sachs did just today name Meta as one of its top names. Joe? Uh, yeah, Gaia, I think, is, uh, has got some, uh, some issues or comments. Guy, what's up? I always have issues. You know, I met your trainer, the guy you work out with, and he says how hard you work in the gym. And I, I acknowledge that. Sometimes you let other people do the hard work. And Paul Singer's done exactly that with Pinterest. They have a 9% stake. 450 million users, I think $2.5 billion of cash. I think Pinterest has a floor. So for me, it's pins, Joe. Yep. I get it, guy. You know, the, I was going to do it once and then do the routine he, he showed me how to do. And that misses the whole point. If you're paying someone, you have to show up. That's, that's, that's the whole deal. If you're not paying them, you don't go. So if I know he's going to charge me either way, it's like shame you a little bit if you're not. You know. Yeah, so I go. So I have to go. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Frayne. Speaking of having to go. A lot of pain. Yeah. <laughs> My guess is this is our time. <laughs> Up next, your final trades. I thought I was hearing things. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. We've got no time. Karen, quick. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, I liked S&P puts. Too early then, but if I had them again now. All right, Guy. APA, you big stud. <laughs> oh, man, Tim. Mets or Yankees, Joe? No answer. PF, Pfizer, PFB, excuse me. I love the Mets last God night. I love the Mets. Grasso. And this God is where it. they tell you to stretch now. We're all so quick. Now we have to stretch. CSE, <laughs> sea of red. I'm looking for a big bounce. All right, thanks for watching. Uh, Fast Money, you know what's next. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.